dust, just something, something we looked at um, uh, two weeks ago, fortnight ago when we started, um, and that is uh, this amazing, amazing thing, and that is the egg. Uh, not just amazing to eat, uh, but if you'll remember, I shared with us last time um, that the shell of an egg is 0.03 millimeters, all right? So a shell of an egg is about 0.03 millimeters, so extremely thin. In fact, if you hold it under a light that is powerful enough, you can see through the shell into the egg. And so this extremely fragile egg, uh, if you stand it upright, so the the biggest, uh, roundest part on the bottom, standing up like that, the amount of pressure that an egg can withstand is uh, spectacular. That's what happens if you hold it on its side, all right? Now, there's a huge difference. Uh, Pressure on the top, we saw, is, uh, let me remind us, there was an experiment at the University of Maryland looking at the thickness of an eggshell, and they stacked um, lead weights on an egg, and they were able, you can see it on YouTube, they were able to get to 112.5 kilograms, all right, now I'm going to convert all this because we have some pounds and some stones and some kilo people. So that would be uh, 17.72 stone on an egg, all right? So to put that in perspective, I weigh 13 and a half stone. So more than me standing on an egg and the pressure it was able to take, all right? That is the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter is about external pressure on the church and that is persecution, all right? Now, here's the amazing thing. An egg can take all that pressure, and yet, from inside the egg, a baby chick can simply poke at it a couple of times, right, and come through. Extremely strong for external pressure, extremely fragile for internal pressure, and that is the book of 2 Peter, One Peter's the external pressure that's on the church, and that is persecution. And the church not only will withstand it, but Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Anywhere in the world right now where the church is growing, the church is under external persecution, right? Internal, internal false teaching, too, Peter says, will crush the church as I just did. Will absolutely crush it. Uh, So, uh, for example... The, the, the largest right now population of Christians in the world is in the nation of China. China has more Christians than any other country in the world. Uh, China has the fastest growing Christian percentages in the world right now, and we have to estimate because it's all underground, but our estimates are right now that 10% of the population of China is evangelical Christian. 10%. Now, to put that in perspective, Birmingham, England, our best estimates are around 1% evangelical Christian. So you have China, where the church is under persecution, Bibles are against the law, pastors are placed in prison, and it's 10% and growing. Here in the West, in a city like Birmingham, where we have all the freedom in the world, and the evangelical population is 1%, and every seven days, four churches go out of business. We're cracking from the inside out in the West. Does that make sense? And so, and, and so I can, can I say that this idea of getting our head around false teaching and truth is critical to the very life of the church. 
Now, God will always preserve a remnant. We know that. But man, it sure could get a lot smaller than it already is. And will never crack because of persecution. It will always be from the inside out. And so it's so important that we as followers of Jesus know the truth and know how to spot Untruth, and so uh, I want you to, to uh, invite you to open your Bible to. Uh, we're actually beginning where we left off, and so one Peter. We're going to begin in verse nineteen. One Peter. We're going to begin in verse nineteen, and then we'll go into chapter two, verses one through three. And so we're going to continue to uh, to talk about uh, this idea of danger from within, and that's false teachers. The dangers from within, and so two Peter chapter one, beginning in verse nineteen, and. And, and Dan uh, did, did a, an amazing job last week taking us through this. And, and these three verses, 19, 20, and 21, are some of actually, I would say, some of the most important verses in all of the Bible that talk about the Bible, right? Where the Bible talks about itself. These three verses are, we could camp there, and they are super important. So we're going to begin there because then he In verse uh, 1, he's going to make a comparison. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, What page is that, everybody? 1,222. All right, so verse 19. Peter says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Say that again. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Look at the person beside you and say, Your Bible is reliable. Now tell them, right? Your Bible is reliable. Because listen, listen carefully. Everybody look right here. Man, th- this is so important. The first tactic of the enemy will be to try to convince you that the Bible is not reliable. The first tactic of the enemy to crack the egg will be to convince us that the Bible is not reliable. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent looks at Eve and says, did God really say? That's how it all begins. Genesis chapter 3, sin has not entered the world yet, and the devil looks at Adam and Eve, because it seems like he was right there, because it says she turned and handed him the fruit, so we're not going to let him off the hook. And the enemy says, did God really say? As soon as we begin to doubt the reliability of this book, our house of cards will collapse. Yeah? Okay. So, Peter wants to remind us, we also have the prophetic message as something, how reliable is it? Completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. Right? It's completely reliable, so you might want to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says this book is reliable and this book is everything we need until Jesus comes back. That's the morning star, right? He says until the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He makes the point to tell us this, that this book's origin is not man-made. Right? It's not man-made. Now, here's, here's a legitimate question. Prove it. 
Like there's there's loads of holy books in the world. There's I've, on my shelf at home. I have a Quran. I have the Abdagai Glita. I, like I have a whole shelf of books at our house of of primary sources for world religions. I've I've read, I haven't read all the Quran. I've read a lot of it. And so how do we know? Like how do we know this just isn't one among many? And that's a legitimate question. And the answer is clearly alluded to here. And that is. Prophecy. Look at verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, right? For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How we know this book is true is by fulfilled prophecy, right? So in the Old Testament, it, it, it determined how you count it. But the minimum in the Old Testament, there are 301, 301 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus perfectly fulfilled in his lifetime. 301 prophecies in the Old Testament. Some of them were written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Right? A thousand years before Jesus was born. And so uh, a famous mathematician by the name of Peter Stoner, uh, determined how, what are the mathematical probabilities of this happening. And so he pulled out 48 prophecies. Now there are 301, and mathematician, he's not a Christian by the way, mathematician Peter Stoner pulled out 48 random prophecies. And his conclusion was this, that the chance of one man fulfilling just 48 prophecies of the 301 would be 10 by the, followed by 157 zeros. That's the likelihood of one man fulfilling just 48 of the prophecies would be 10 to the 157 zeros. To illustrate that, he said it would be the equivalent of this. Now, he used Texas, but Texas is about the size of Western Europe, so we're going to use Western Europe, okay? He said it would be the equivalent of taking 50 pence pieces, right? 50 pence pieces and filling up all of Western Europe one meter high, Okay? So let's take 50, if you're with me, say amen. Are you, you listening? 50 pence pieces, and you cover Ireland, the UK, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, Spain, Portugal. You cover all of Western Europe up to my waist in these coins. And then you take one of them and paint it red. Just one coin, and you toss it into all of them the probability of one man fulfilling these prophecies would be the probability of you having one chance to pick up one 50-cent piece and you pick up the one that's marked red. That's how we know the Bible's true. The Bible stands or falls on fulfilled prophecy. And Peter makes that point, right? So the book is reliable. Tell the person beside you the book is reliable. Okay. Uh, Chapter 2 then, verse 1. But there were also false prophets, right? So he's just told us about real prophets. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There were false prophets. Now we have in the church false teachers. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. 
and their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is reliable, it is true, uh, because it, it came from you, Jesus. You carried these men along filled with your Holy Spirit, giving them the very words and thoughts that we have now in our Bibles. And we praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. We thank you that there's no external pressure in this universe that can destroy your church. And yet we see that, Lord, this this idea of false teaching is, we see the fragility of the church. And so, Lord, we pray in these next few moments, we humbly ask that you would give us understanding of your word. Uh, We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, let's spend just a few moments looking at verses one through three as we think about this danger from within, false teachers. And so uh, two words that Peter uses that we want to get an idea of um, right off the bat. Um, Sorry, it's pretty sensitive. Skipping right. There we go. False. So uh, look at verse one. But there were also false prophets. There were false prophets. This word false in the original Greek, it means untrue, deceitful, and wicked. All right. Now, this is important because it means it's purposefully false, right? It's purposefully false. So, um, so ask me, how far is it to London? I'm going to say it's probably... 104 miles. Don't look it up on Google, right? Jesus will break your phone if you do that during church. All right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we all look it up after church, amen, let's say if it's 104 miles, by the way, that would be spectacular. But I'm going to assume it's not. So let's say we look it up and it says it's 110. I hope you won't leave here and say, man, that Kenny's a liar. He is wicked and deceitful and untrue. No, I wasn't trying to purposely mislead you. It'd be like if I said, hey, what time's dinner going to be ready? It'll be ready at 6, and dinner's not ready till 10 after. Were you wicked and deceitful and untrue? No. So false doesn't mean not being accurate. False means when you set out to tell a lie. It's the intent of the heart. Does that make sense? It's the intent of the heart. And so that's an important thing. So we're not just talking about an inaccuracy. We're talking about when someone purposefully sets out to speak untruth. And that's important. So when he says there will be false teachers, these aren't folks that are just making honest, innocent mistakes. These are people who are intentionally seeking out to mislead other people. All right? So it's an important distinction. Uh, Another uh, important word we'll see, and it's the word heresy. The word heresy, look at verse 1 again. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. The word heresy here is really, really interesting in the Greek, and this would have originally been written in the Greek. It literally means to take something for oneself, right? And so the idea of a heresy is that, that what I'm teaching, that my real motivation behind what I'm teaching is personal benefit. Does that make sense? It's a really interesting word. You would think it would have something to do with falseness or untruthness. No, it has to do with taking something that I want, right? 
And so, for example, if I stand up and tell everyone, hey, if you give me 10 pounds, I'm going to pray over that, and God's going to give you 100 pounds, right? And I know that's not going to happen. What am I doing? I'm teaching heresy to take something for myself, to benefit myself. If all I say is things that are going to tickle people's ears and make them happy, then they're going to like me. If they like me, I feel better about myself. I'm doing it to take something for myself, which is identity. So heresy is always rooted, it's always rooted in, in this need to take for oneself, right? And so we see this in the heresies of the Old Testament. We see this in the heresies in the New Testament. It's always about what I can benefit. I, uh, God had saved me. Those of you who know my story, God saved me coming out of, out of the Mormon religion. And, and in Mormonism, the, at the very heart of the heresy is this idea Joseph Smith planted that, you know, you could have as many wives as you want and you can have, you know. And I used to think, man, like you could, you know, Brigham Young had about 35 wives. And I think, man, that sounds amazing to you think that's like 35 mother-in-laws. Amen. And then you're like, I don't know about this religion. Right. Like, but, but, but again, it's all about doing something for oneself. I want a bunch of women, so I'll create a religion that says I can have a bunch of women. Does that make sense? At the the heart of heresy is always self. At the heart of truth is always the glory of God. At the heart of heresy is always self. At the heart of truth is always the glory of God. That it's not about us, but it's all about Him. All right? So, uh, let's, uh, let's look at a couple of things, just three simple truths for us. Number one, uh, we see this, that Peter warns the church regarding the destructive message of false teachers. Peter warns the church regarding the destructive message of false teachers. He says this in verse 1, They will secretly into, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, uh, who bought them, uh, their Savior Jesus Christ, have received a, a faith as precious as ours, right? And so he, it's this idea that he's saying these destructive heresies come into the truth, uh, into the church. And so this, this false, this wicked, ungodly, deceitful untruth always is destructive to the body of Christ. Always. How much of Ebola in your body is destructive? I'd imagine all of it, right? Like, like how, how much cancer do you want? Right? None. And so sometimes it might seem like a little thing. Yeah, it's a, it's, they don't believe this at that church, but they're great. They're so friendly and they're so nice and the worship is amazing and but I mean, yeah, there's this one or two things they're not really accurate on. But listen, uh, Jesus talks about a little bit of yeast leavens the whole bread, right? How much yeast does it take to, to make the dough rise? Not much, right? There, there's no such thing as a little bit of heresy. Just like there's no such thing as, as, as a little heart attack. You know, uh, someone said it's always a little heart attack until it's your heart attack, Right? And so there's no such thing as a little heresy. All of it is destructive. The egg is crushed. The egg is crushed. And that's what the enemy... See, here's what the devil figured out. What the devil figured out is he could never destroy the church from the outside in, so he would work to destroy the church from the inside out. He could never destroy it from the outside in, so he would seek to destroy it from the inside 
out. And so there's no such thing as innocent or, or light or little heresy. All of it is destructive. And so Peter warns us that we want to take it seriously because it's like that little bit of yeast that, that ruins the bread. And so just a little heresy can be destructive to the local church. All right. And so uh, we see, firstly, that Peter warns uh, the church regarding the destructive message. But then, uh, secondly, we see this, that Peter warns the church not just about destructive message, but about deceptive methods. There's, there's the destructive message, but then there are deceptive methods. Look what he says in, uh, in verse 2. He says, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth and dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. They'll, they'll exploit you with fabricated stories. He says, uh, they're, they're just made up, right? They're just, they're just made up stories. So there's, there's a destructive message, but then there are deceptive methods, the way they're introduced. It's interesting. It, it seems like constantly we, we've almost become fixated in the West with movies about demon possession and exorcisms. There's one out now called the Pope's Exorcist or something like that. And they're just, they're, they're out pretty regularly. I don't go see any of them. I mean, like I've read the book, but, um, uh, but we, we've become a bit fixated with the demonic. And here's what's funny to me. It always shows like a, a, a woman and her head spinning and she's spitting out pea soup or, you know, all this weird stuff. And yet, the Bible says that the devil comes as an angel of light. If he showed up on a Sunday morning in a red suit with a pitchfork, we would spot him pretty instantly. Which, by the way, I think I've seen that guy on the Erdington High Street before, just, <laughs> just saying. Pretty sure I've seen that guy. He was walking with a guy in an Easter Bunny costume once. Right? We would pick that out like that. The Bible says that he comes as an angel of light. If you're making counterfeit money, you don't intentionally make it look bad. It wouldn't work. You try to make a counterfeit five-pound note look as real and as sharp and as good as you possibly can because that's the way you fool people, right? And sometimes we buy into this Hollywood view of the devil the reality is, it's so, so much more dangerous than that. Because he comes as an angel of light. He comes as your best mate. He comes as the man of your dreams. He comes as the, the woman you always dreamt of. He comes as the best church member you could ever imagine. He comes as the pastor you always wanted to have. He comes as an angel of light, right? And so he says there's, there's, there's a destructive message, but they're deceptive methods to deceive someone it has to look like the genuine thing is that true yeah of course it is and so uh he warns us now um here's here's what i want us to spend just a few moments doing and that is looking at some categories of false teachers in the bible um so we're going to have to kind of go through it quickly so you're probably not going to have time necessarily to write these down maybe you could write a scripture reference down but if you want to take pictures um that might be really helpful um because we need to be able to recognize that in the Bible, it, the Bible does describe different types of false teachers. Um, here's some of the false teachings. We've, Christy and I, our family, we've been in Birmingham for 16 years. And in 16 years, 
before I show you what's in the Bible, let me tell you some of the things we've heard in churches here, uh, and you would hear these in churches in a lot of places. First thing we heard, we were here three weeks, and the third church we visited on week three that we lived here, the pastor said that Jesus was not perfect, that Jesus was sinful and made mistakes like everyone else. I'm not going to give you the church names, but I, um, I, I, I went to him afterwards. Christy's like, you can't stand it. I'm like, I can't stand it. I got to go. So I went, and I was lovely, and I just said, I'm so, I'm so sorry. We've been here three weeks. Like, I still had jet lag, but I said, I'm so sorry. I think, I think I misunderstood something you said in your sermon. He's like, yeah. I said, I, I thought I heard you say that Jesus made mistakes and wasn't perfect. And he said, no, that's exactly what I said, because how could Jesus ever sympathize with us if he wasn't making mistakes like we do? Now, that sounds really lovely. It's absolute rubbish. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. It's heresy. And the church was full of people saying amen, except for two dubnicks and two little dubnicks. <laughs> We've heard this, that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. In a group, again, no need for you to know who and where, but with a group of local church leaders, I was the only one in a room of 12 who believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. I was the only one. The only one. We've heard that Jesus did not physically raise from the dead, a quite large church in our city, uh, a leader shared that with us. Uh, I've shared with you uh, an event I went to where I was on a panel with an uh, Anglican, a Methodist, a Baptist, and me, and, uh, and I was the only one who believed Adam and Eve were real people. The only one. Everyone on the panel believed that Genesis 1 through 11 was complete fiction, fable, made up. I was the only one who believed it was real, and that's where, by the way, that whole thing about how do pretend people have pretend sex and make real babies, it gets complicated. Um, number five, the prosperity gospel, right? Well, we've, we've, we've got, you know, people that we're doing life with here through Oikos whose lives have, have, have been severely damaged by the prosperity gospel. This belief that God wants me to always be happy, healthy, and rich. And when they're not happy and healthy and rich, their lives implode. Uh, we've heard loads of others. So uh, where do we see all of these in the Scripture? Well, here are a couple of examples of false teachers in Scripture, all right? So number one, you have the, uh, the heretic, the heretic. All right, so uh, the heretic. The heretic is the person who purposefully teaches what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. Okay, look at this. The heretic is the person who purposefully teaches what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. All right? That, remember, we said it's false. It's, it's wicked. It's intentionally deceptive. This is the heretic. And so we just saw 2 Peter 2.1. There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. A person who spreads heresies is a heretic. So a heresy that would be common right now that's picking up momentum is universalism. Uh, it's a heresy that says Jesus is not the only way to heaven. That, that, that Jesus is a way to heaven, but he's not the only way to heaven. That, listen carefully, that is heresy. It's absolute heresy. The Bible says there's no name under heaven which men must be saved. Except the name of what? 
Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The law of non-contradiction of philosophy would say all religions cannot be the same. Something cannot be A and B at the same time if A and B are not the same thing, right? If Islam says Jesus did not die and rise from the grave, and Christianity says Jesus did die and rise from the grave, those both cannot be true. They can both be wrong, but they both cannot be true. Or one can be right. Are you with me? It's basic philosophy. It's, it's the way we see the world every day and never think about it. Heresy is someone who blatantly teaches something that contradicts Scripture. All right? Uh, here's another category um, in the Scripture, and that's the false prophet. The false prophet. Who is the false prophet? The false prophet is the person who claims to be gifted by God to speak new, fresh revelation outside of Scripture. New authoritative words of prediction, teaching, rebuke, or encouragement. This is the man or woman who comes along and says, God has given me a fresh, new revelation outside of Scripture. Right? Outside of Scripture. And so John warns us, and uh, in 1 John uh, 4, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Right? And so he says, what do we do then? We test what they say. And how do we test it? We test it with the Bible. We t- Everybody focus right here. This is so important. We test it with the Scripture, right? And so if someone comes along with a new word from the Lord, we do like the Bereans in the book of Acts. We go away and we take what they say and we filter it through this book. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't go with what's in the book, it's not true, right? It's just, it's not true. It's, it's, it's false prophecy. By the way, we see in the book of Leviticus, the punishment for false prophecy in the nation of Israel was death. That's how serious God took it. You get to the New Testament, you read the last three verses of your whole Bible in the book of Revelation. Don't do it this minute. Read the last verses of the book of Revelation. It says anyone who adds to or takes away from this book, the the plagues and all the bad stuff in the book will be added unto them. Right? And so Jehovah's Witnesses said that Jesus was going to physically return. I think it was around 1911, and, uh, and he didn't. And then they said he was coming back like in the 20s, and he didn't. And, um, and so now they say, well, he came back, but it was invisible. It's convenient, isn't it? Right? Well, that, that's called false prophecy, right? Predicted something would happen. It didn't happen. At that moment, you know, the person's not from the Lord. The person's not from the Lord. The, uh, the false prophet, there are loads out there. Uh, we see also in Scripture, uh, the charlatan, right? The charlatan. This is the person who uses Christianity and the proclamation of the gospel as a means of personal enrichment. This is the person who uses Christianity and the proclamation of the gospel as a means of personal enrichment. And so uh, Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus. And he's pastoring the church there in Ephesus. Paul writes to him to warn him. And, uh, and Paul writes this. He says, um, the false teachers think that godliness is a means to financial gain. 
He says, this is one way, Timothy, that you can spot the false teachers. The false teachers there in Ephesus will be those men and women who view this whole thing about Jesus as a means to financial gain. Right? The charlatan. I'm just in it for the money. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on Joel Osteen, but I read an article about him this week. said his net worth is $100 million. Does his income estimated, he won't confirm his income, but his estimated income is $80 million a year. He got two houses in Houston, Texas. The first house was $10.5 million. The uh, second house was $2.5 million. Uh, His first house, the $10.5 million house, is 17,000 square feet. Now, um, to put that in perspective, the average house in England, in Birmingham, would be about 1,200 square feet. And his is 17,000. $100 million. Now, that sounds like personal gain. And how, how do we square that up with the life of Jesus and the apostles? Where Jesus said, a fox has a den to lay in. We've got nowhere to lay our head. Right? And Jesus seemed pretty content about that. He said, I'm going to send you out two by two and take nothing with you. Right? And, and so... Uh, uh, America, we have these guys by the boatload. We have you know, Joyce Meyer, she, she's estimated to be worth about $70 million. We have these men and women by the boatload. And here's what a new generation of unbelievers in the West can't figure out. They can't figure out how to square the message of this book with that. That. And, so they, they, and by the way, good on them because I can't either, Right? How many churches could you plant for a $10.5 million home? How many, how, many, how many people could you vaccine in Africa? How, you could, you know, what, what could you do with $10.5 million? Live in the $2.5 million. That's like, you know, that's the servants' quarters. Go live in that. And uh, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But it's been around from the beginning. Men and women who use the gospel as a means to financial gain. Uh, we also see... Um, Ben? There we go. Uh, We do see Ben. Ben? Ben? The tickler, right? Uh, This is is the person who craves popularity and praise from the world to maintain his followers' approval. He preaches only the parts of the Bible that they deem, meaning the people he's trying to win the approval of, that they deem acceptable. He gives listeners only what they want to hear, and he preaches a partial gospel, which is no gospel at all. Right? Let me say that again. This is the person who craves popularity and praise from the world. And to maintain his followers' approval, he preaches only the parts of the Bible that they deem acceptable. He gives listeners only what they want to hear. He preaches a partial gospel, which is no gospel at all. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, who again was a pastor there in Ephesus, uh, says this. I'm so sorry, guys. Is that, is that, is that the end of it? Okay. All right. So... Yeah, please do. All right, so just listen then to the word of the Lord. And so uh, Paul writes this, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. 
They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. The tickler. He's the person who tells people what they want to hear, right? So listen to the scripture again. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Uh, one thing that struck me the last time we were in America, um, uh, back at Christmas, I was in a Christian bookstore, and one thing that hit me was the number of books that were on the bookshelves that people have written who have died and went to heaven and came back and wrote a book about it. I'm not joking. There was a whole section of these books, right? Like people who just died, and so I just picked one or two up and thumbed through it, and so funny, Kayla, most of you know Kayla, my daughter was with me, she's like, Daddy, I don't think you should be reading that. I'm like, yeah, so put it up. But I'm like, nobody ever writes about like going to hell, right? That's not going to sell, right? But about going to heaven, and your grandma was there, and she was fixing, her and Jesus were cooking fried chicken, and man, you guys had a great time, and then you went to the park, and Jesus pushed you on the swing, and heaven's amazing. And it sells books by the millions, and they make movies and songs. There's a whole industry that's built up about wanting to tell us what we want to hear. And yet, when you, when you read this book and you read the life of Jesus, I don't see him telling people what they wanted to hear. I see him telling people what they needed to hear, right? Man, when, when, when I go to the doctor... Like if, if, I, if, I, if I have a lump or something and he thinks it's cancer, I don't want him to tell me it's not because he's worried about my feelings. Right? Are you listening? Like I, I don't need him to be concerned with me liking him. I don't need him to be concerned with me crying or get emotional. What I need him to be concerned about is if I have a tumor, how are we going to get this thing out and fix it? That's what I need him. And can I tell you what? If that's the case, that whole process will be painful. But it'll bring health. And Jesus sometimes brought pain to people by preaching the truth because he knew in the end it would bring health. Amen? And so the tickler is that one who just wants to tell people what they want to hear. And by the way, that is the world we live in today. That is the world we live in. And those in America are the churches that, that often are growing and those are the guys who have the $10 million homes. You tell people what they want to hear, they'll pay for it. And Paul says, particularly in the last days, people want to have their ears tickled. And the devil will make sure there are men and women to do it. Right? The tickler. Uh, and then the last one, and it's this, uh, the abuser. The abuser. Uh, this is the person who uses his position or of leadership to take advantage of other people. He unapologetically uses and abuses others to feed his lust, such as money, sex, or power. Let me say that again. The, 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 the abuser. The abuser is the person who uses his, it could be a her, but his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. He unapologetically uses and abuses others to feed his lust, meaning money, sex, or power. Jude 1.4. Jude 1.4, and Jude 1.4 says this, they are, un talking about these false teachers, he says, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Let me say that again. 
these false teachers, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God, listen to this, into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. We see the false teacher, the abuser, that person who uses their position of influence to feed their own immorality. It's been around from the very beginning. Again, we, we, we see often in the world we live in in the West, how many scandals have there been in churches of people in positions of authority who abuse others? And what does that do? How does that damage the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel, how does it damage it? We, we, I supervise, um, supervise three families in Ireland, and one of their biggest challenges, missionary families in Ireland, and one of their biggest challenges as they talk to people about Jesus is trying to disconnect it from the absolute ungodly things that have happened through the Catholic Church there over the decades. I'm not, I'm not picking on the Catholic Church. That's just the context of Ireland. And people don't want to hear about this book because of what people did in the name of Jesus, right? And so it's the abuser. So th- those are just some scriptural examples of false teachers. Brings us then to our third and final point. And it's this, we, we've, we've seen a destructive message. We've, de- we've seen deceptive methods. But then lastly, we see divine judgment. Peter reminds the church of the divine judgment of false teachers. Peter reminds the church of the divine judgment of false teachers. Look what he says there in verse 3. Look at your Bible. He says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. But he says, Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. He says, These false teachers have a destructive message. They have deceptive methods. But what is in store for them is divine judgment. And he says, it will come upon them, right? It will come upon them. And and so when we pick up next week, that's exactly then where Grant's going to pick up. And we see these examples that he's going to give us through Scripture of the divine judgment. Like God takes this so seriously. He pours out his divine judgment on people who take this book and purposefully use it to deceive others. And so uh, he, he says there will be divine judgment. Uh, James, I, to me, is probably the verse, there are a lot of verses in the Bible that kind of scare me. Um, but one of the ones, and maybe the scariest, is where James says that teachers will be held to a higher account, to a higher judgment, right? And by the way, that's whether you're teaching children, whether you're teaching adults, anytime we stand up with this book and we, we say, thus says the Lord, like we present ourselves as the spokesman or woman for God, we're taking on this idea that we will be held to a higher judgment, right? Because God takes it really, really seriously. So uh, as the church, we want to we be on the lookout for the destructive message of false teachers, for the deceptive ways that they might bring that in. But then we're reassured that truth will win out, amen? And the divine judgment will come. So uh, last question then, um, how do I spot heresy? How do I spot it? How, how do I see it? How, how do I know it when it pops its head up? 
And by the way, when I ask that question, I'm first and foremost asking in my own life. Like, I'm, I'm not thinking about Dan up here. I'm thinking about me reading my Bible at home during the week. Like, I, I don't, I want to, I don't want to be self-deceived, right? I, I don't, I want to deceive myself. And so, how do I know? How do I spot heresy in my own mind, in my own heart, but then in the mind of heart of others? And uh, and, and it's it's simply by knowing the truth. It's simply by knowing the truth. I saw an uh, amazing documentary about the counterfeit industry. I mean, it is. This is literally a billion-dollar industry in America making counterfeit money. And, and they were showing uh, the FBI division that deals with counterfeit money in the United States. And, and they were talking about how do they train these men and women uh, to, to spot counterfeit money. And what struck me was the way they train them is they said in the first year they'll never show them a piece of counterfeit money. In the first year, they never show them a piece of counterfeit money. And they said, why? Because we want them to become so familiar with the real thing that they'll be able to spot the untruth. They'll be able to spot the counterfeit because they're so familiar. And so they showed them with these bills and like literally smelling them and filling them and holding them up to the light. And they said they spend a year just getting really friendly with money. Why? And it struck me because if you know the truth inside and out, you'll spot a fake every time. If you know the truth inside and out, you'll spot a fake every time. And so Paul, again, writing to Timothy, who was a pastor, right, who's uh, teaching, says this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, familiar to us. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Isn't that great? All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. How do we spot untruth? We just spend as much time as possible in this book. Amen. We don't need to go track it down. We don't need to watch YouTube videos. We don't, we don't need to do that. We just need to get well acquainted with truth and when we are filled and acquainted with truth and the spirit of truth, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will come, Jesus said, and lead you into all truth. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we're spending time in this book, we will spot the fake every single time. So um, I'm at this, uh, at this breakfast. There are about 150 people there. I'm on this panel, and they're asking questions, and they ask this question about Adam and Eve, and they're going down the lawn, and I'm the last one. And so I'm listening to everyone, and the mic is slowly working its way, and I'm like, Lord, help me, because every person is saying, Adam and Eve, not real people, flood, didn't really happen, Genesis, not real, just, you know, and, and it finally gets to me, and Christy happened to be out of town, and so I had taken Max and Kayla with me, and they were quite young, and so Max might have been about eight years old, and Max brought a comic book, and so I can see Max sitting over the table reading his comic book with his sister hanging out, and, uh, and so I'm answering this question, and I give this long, and people are kind of laughing, and I'm okay being laughed at, but I'm like, no, I really believe, like, these were real people, Jesus believed they were real people, and I'm okay with that, and, uh, and so we finish up, 
And we get in the car, and we're riding home. And so, Kayla and Max are in the back seat, and Max has his comic book up over his face, still reading. And so, I'm, I'm driving the car, and I'm just trying to get my head around, like, Lord, what just happened in there? And, uh, and out of nowhere, Max says, um, Dada, can I ask you a question? I'm like, of course you can. He still has the comic book up over his face, and he says, were those people in there saying Adam and Eve aren't real? And I said, well, yes, son, that is what they were saying. I'll never, ever forget it. He pulls down the comic book, eight years old, and looks at me in the rearview mirror and says, well, they need to read the Bible. It's all in the Bible. If they'll just read it, they'll learn something. And puts the comic book right back up over his face. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach eight-year-olds how to spot what is not true. May we know it. May we love it. May we believe it. The grace of God. Amen, church. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We don't worship the Bible. We worship you, Jesus. But without our Bible, we would know nothing about you. And so thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this book. And this book has words of life. And we thank you. And Jesus, there are things in here that challenge us. There are things in here that are difficult for us. There are things in this book we don't understand. But Jesus, we pray that as we are filled with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us grace, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would give us faith to believe. And Lord, may we be well acquainted with your word, that we might abide in your truth for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank you so much. Uh, 